when I'm in meetings, I want to speak as if I believe I'm right. So there that's is. confidence. But I need to listen as if I believe I'm wrong. And that's mm. humility. So those are just characteristics, particularly today, young and old. Mm. In fact, when I'm old, I'll naturally be confident because I've been around the block a few times. Yeah. I need to go after humility because I don't know what Tony knows. Welcome to the Shepherd Leadership Podcast, where we hope to encourage and equip leaders to help those entrusted to them thrive and to be a leader others follow for life. My name is Nick Westbrook, and I've had people entrusted to my care professionally for over 20 years in careers from ministry, coaching football, and business development to now owning and leading a Chick-fil-A franchise with over 140 team members. Leading my business at Chick-fil-A is the most challenging, difficult, and rewarding thing I've ever done. The challenges can feel overwhelming, but the call to lead and being given the responsibility to steward so many people's lives and experiences is an honor that I'm proud to shoulder. I've had more leadership failures than success, but from my greatest leadership failures, I've learned the true art of fulfilling my calling to lead. Thank you for joining our conversation where we will unpack the calling of leading as a shepherd and talk with other shepherd leaders about the impact they're making in their organizations. We post a new 30-minute episode on the first Friday of every month and sprinkle in some bonus content along the way. We hope to make this time valuable for you and to encourage you. This is the Shepherd Leadership Podcast. Okay, shepherd leaders. Welcome back to the Shepherd Leadership Podcast. I am so excited to sit with, honestly, a hero of mine in the leadership conversation today, Dr. Tim Elmore. Dr. Elmore is the president founder and CEO of Growing Leaders in Atlanta, Georgia. He began his career working with leadership expert John Maxwell. He's written over 30 five books, and he's helped organizations like Chick-fil-A, Home Depot, and Delta Airlines. He's presented to world-class sports organizations from Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, college football, you name it, and has developed young leaders on every continent on our planet. Dr. Elmore, welcome to the Shepherd Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be with you. I mean, my gosh, what an introduction. Yeah. I, better, I better be good. I better be good. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but you've been influencing my leadership for a long, long time. About 20 years ago, I, as a 24-year-old young really ambitious young coach got the opportunity to be the head football coach at Eagles Landing Christian Academy. And with a a very limited amount of leadership experience, (laughs) my head of school, when I was asking him about, hey, I, I need to learn how to lead a large group of people, he hands me a very thin book with a lot of pictures in it, yep. which is the best kind for me. <laughs> and he says, hey, this can really help you as you're meeting with these boys. And it was called Habitudes. Yeah. And I started going through it and it was amazing. 
and I loved the content in it. And you wrote that book a while ago, yep. and I was so overcome with it. I email your organization and say, hey, I want to bring this to our school. I want to take it to yeah. you know our team. I want to do it. And I asked for a breakfast with you, and you said yes, and it was wild. And so we, you know, over 20 years ago, sat down together at breakfast with my head of school, and we brought Habitudes to Eagles Landing Christian and our team. And just so thank you for that. Lots right. happened between then a and now. A lot has That's happened fun. in between then and now. And so you talk about like even the premise of that book, that images are the language of the 21st century. Yeah. And in Habitudes, you use images that form habits and attitudes for leadership. And that influenced me so much, this idea of shepherd leadership. You know, I just felt we need a new image yes. in our mind yeah. of what a leader is. And so biblically thinking about what does the Bible say about leadership? And it keeps giving this idea of a shepherd leader. And Psalm, at the end of Psalm, it says, and David shepherded them with integrity in his heart, with skillful hands, he led them. And so the first part of our framework is we talk about a shepherd leader strives to know God, protect and provide for those entrusted them so that they'll thrive. The first part is to know them well. Yeah. And your new book A New Kind of Diversity talks about how we can know those entrusted to us on our teams and and this diversity of the generation gap. And so I'm so pumped for our leaders to sit in and listen to your extensive amount of knowledge about these different generations. I mean, the first thing I want to dig into is in your book, you talk about over half of our workforce is made up of millennials and them and Generation Z make up, I think you said, over 70% of the workforce. Yeah, we'll be soon anyway. Yeah, that's so true. And I have found, Nick, too many older, I'll just, I won't give an age, but older guys that have been around the block a few times just see such a difference in them and them that they just get frustrated. My goal is to turn the frustration into fascination, that there are young football players 20 years ago, and there's young team members entering our teams that have so much to offer. But we're so guilty of, I don't know, shortcut thinking. We hear a story about a Gen Z kid who was a fragile snowflake, and we're just sure all of them are like that. And then we don't do any deeper thinking. We don't really know them. We think we do, but we don't. And then it just creates chasms and gaps at work that just don't help us. My favorite thing that you say in the book, it's really small, and I've stolen it. I hope that's okay. I give you credit, but I steal it. It says, you have to read them before Mm -hmm. you lead them. And Tell me about that statement and how it really shaped this work. There's generally speaking four to five generations that are working together. The four that are most obvious on the older end would be Gen Xers and baby boomers, Mm -hmm. okay? They would be after 40. Mm -hmm. And then below 40 is generally speaking the Gen Zers and the millennials. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they divide into two camps without even announcing it. And the way we are politically, the way we are spiritually, the way we look at life, the worldview we we have is postmodern, modern. It's just very interesting. So without even trying to categorize, we do this. And I have found that if we don't ditch the niche, I use this phrase quite a Mm, bit, and go after other people that are unlike us, and that's not just ethnicity and gender, although that's part of it, but it's other generations where I'm going to have to work harder. You use vocabulary I don't even understand, you know, that sort of thing. (laughs) So the analogy I often use, if you don't mind me waxing eloquent here, if you and I hop on a plane, 
and we fly to, I don't know, China, and we hop off the plane there, we're automatically psyched up to work hard to connect with people there because we know they speak a different language. They have different customs here. They have different values here. Bingo. When I'm 63 and I talk to a 23-year-old, different language, different customs. It's like a cross-cultural interaction. So the same work I'm willing to put in over there, I need to be willing to put in here. I think we're lazy socially. And so we have these camps and we're polarized. We've used that word 50 times this year. So anyway, I'm I'm after trying to depolarize the world and, and maybe draw out the very best in each generation. Yeah, that's perfect. On my team specifically at Chick-fil-A, we have 140 team members just in my one little restaurant, right? The youngest is 15 years old. Wow. The oldest is 72 oh, years wow. old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we've got every decade yeah. in between. Yeah. A couple of 60s, a couple of 50s, yeah. a few 40s, several 30s. The average age is about 22 and a half right yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, goodness. I mean, you and I both, We've had frustrations with our parents. Yeah. We have frustrations with the younger generation, Mm -hmm. but getting to know them, they just do things differently. They see the world differently. Yeah. Right. And so we've got a lot of Chick-fil-A operators that listen to this podcast. The majority of us are all Gen Xers and boomers. Typically, we're starting to get some millennials coming into the the mix, but the most of us are, are that. Help us understand what has shaped this millennial and Gen Z group? As you've said, we've kind of yeah. gathered into two camps, yeah. really. Yeah. What has helped shape their worldview and how they kind of see the world? A couple things come to my mind. One of the biggest differences between, let's say, you and I and the younger would be this. When I was growing up, the screens were all public Mm-hmm. It was a television screen in our family room. It was mm. black and white when I was a young kid. Mm. We all gathered around one screen mm. and watched a, we called it a program, right. watched a program together. So the Brady Bunch, Dick Van Dyke, whatever, we gathered around, watched together, laughed together, talked about it together. We were together. Today, fast forward, we've all got our own screen mm. and we can be in niches, hence mm-hmm. the ditch the niche thing. So a mom or dad knows that their 17-year-old daughter is on Instagram. They have no idea she has six Finsta accounts, fake mm-hmm. Instagram, where she's developed personas for herself. She is not herself, true self, and she's interacting with Lord knows who. So one of it is that, that we're just in different worlds, completely silos, niches, and we tend to find it easier to hang around people that are like us. They vote like us, talk like us, think like us. So here's one other big thought for Chick-fil-A operators that might be listening. It seems like the older two generations err on the side of a modern worldview and the two younger err on the side of the postmodern worldview. Mm. So modern worldview would be a little bit more black and white. We think there's a right and wrong. We think there's a right way to do this. Yep. You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, all the chicken are not, isn't there? Yeah. Well, yes, but postmodern worldview, while modern really much more embraces absolutes, postmodern would be much more relative. How, how could you say you have to do it that way? Mm. So they're questioning everything, and why wouldn't they? They've been able to look up everything since four years old. Yeah. I had a high school senior recently say to me, my teachers are obsolete. And he wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He was just saying, I can look up anything they say. And they are looking up everything we say. They're fact-checking us. So I don't know if that's helpful to someone over 40, but you're just going to find that they're questioning almost everything. 
Yeah. There's a deconstruction of work and church and government and mm. education. They see higher ed oftentimes as, I don't think this is relevant at all. Mm. So they're hacking their post-secondary experience, just making up stuff to do, maybe building an app at 21. Yeah, I've heard you call them hackers. Yeah, the they are hackers. And it's not just technology hacking. It's I'm getting behind the system, finding out how it works, and then I'm making it work for me. Think about 2020. When all the kids were sent home to do school from home, hmm. many of them understood technology better than their teacher did. Oh, yeah. So they're proud of the fact that they cheated you oh, know, yeah. on the test. And I, I, I feel horrible <laughs> saying that because some of these are really good kids, but they feel quite good about the fact that they have intuition on where the future is going. And we have insight on where the past has been. But what if we got together? They need timeless insights. We mm. need timely intuition. Mm. Think about those young team members. They might add something at a Chick-fil-A restaurant. Why don't we use TikTok, blah, 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 or why don't we do this? And if we'll stop and listen, maybe we could both add value to the other. I love that. In the book, you talk about a story, I think, of a young man named Tony. Yes, yes. And that leans right into that story. Tell everybody about Tony and how this team missed out because— they didn't listen. Yeah, that was the whole problem. Tony was a college student a couple years ago who worked at a paint store. While he happened to be in that year of his college career, he got a TikTok account. And so he started combining his job at the paint store and his TikTok account, and he went viral because mm. he was so clever and so creative. He's posting videos of mixing blueberries with white paint or whatever. It was awesome. Well, when, he, when I say he went viral, he had 1.8 million followers oh, and I think 24 million views. And that was enough to make Tony think, I should tell my management, you know, we could monetize this. So he puts a slide deck together and offers to meet with the executives, but he didn't get one person interested, wow. didn't get one set of eyeballs willing to listen to his presentation, but he did get something he didn't expect. Tony gets fired. Oh, my goodness. Because the assumptions that the older executives had was, sure. this young man's probably stealing the paint from us, you know, and he's probably doing this on company time, and he's probably distracting to the customers. All the things, the narration that we have in our head that's right. is all that. And he went outside of our fences. That's true. Mm. Yes. Mm. So, I love the end of the story because it kind of came back to haunt them. They fire him. He graduates, moves down to Florida from Ohio now has over 2 million followers, started wow. his own paint store. Good for him. So even if the big brand goes, that ah, doesn't bother me, but they missed out on a million and a half people they could yeah. have reached and talked about their story. And so I'm yeah. just saying, folks, I'm old. Maybe you're old. <laughs> if you are, take the time to not just tell, but ask, yeah. to listen We've just got to do that better yeah. because the world is changing fast and they get it before we get it. And we have to kind of know ourselves in a way too. Like if those executives would have sat down and just yeah. known what yeah. was limiting their self. So I'm about to turn 44. So okay. I'm, a, I'm an Xer, okay. right? I'm a yep. Gen Xer. Yep. I love this. You talk about in the book that the Gen X is the middle child. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I laughed at that coming from a big family with several siblings, the neglected <laughs> middle child. Like. Yeah. And so that's such an interesting word picture. What do we need to know about ourselves okay. that we don't know yeah. that's shaping some of our worldview? 
Yeah, prime earning years, prime working years. You're the heartbeat of the workforce, really, Mm -hmm. Gen X is. Now, the reason I call you all the middle child is you're on two sides of two very large populations. Mm -hmm. The baby boomers, Mm -hmm. the boom, 76.4 million children were born between 1946 and 64. Mm -hmm. Then there's X, and then there's this gigantic millennial generation, which is larger than the boomers. It's 80 million strong. Mm -hmm. And with immigration, it could grow as large as 100 million strong. Wow. So they're young professionals. Boomers are old professionals retiring at 10,000 every day. X is in the middle. It could be seen as a quandary, but could also be seen as a really good thing. On either side of you are these gigantic, large and in charge, we think we're pretty awesome generations. Right. If you with humility could say, I could leverage the old and I could leverage the young. And you are in the middle. Sometimes you are the middle child, but sometimes you're the... The moderator. Maybe Mm. an operator is saying, I understand the young because I'm just young enough to kind of get that. Right. But I've been around the block and I kind of understand the old folks saying, why don't they show up on time? Yeah. But what if we could be the middle man or the middle woman and say, really, we need both of you. Yeah. There's some new thinking coming. We need to know it. And there's some timeless stuff that those 63-year-olds really, they understand because they learned it from grandma and grandpa back in the first part of the 20th century. Right. So I'll start there. No, that's perfect. You talk about, and I loved this, that there are kind of four universal rules in the workplace, regardless. And you talk about those and how you talked about the timeless and the timely. Yeah. And But there's these universal rules, and we can kind of take both sides of that inside of these universal rules. Talk about one or two of those universal rules and how we need as our generation to help this generation understand those universal rules. Yeah. Well, I put a document together here at Growing Leaders when we had a lot of Gen Zers, just like you did, right. coming yeah. in. You go, oh, yeah. my gosh, yeah. I don't understand this person. So my document happened to be called How Work Works. I just could tell they never had a full-time job ever. Mm. In fact, mom and dad maybe didn't want them to ever. You got to play soccer or you got to get that scholarship. So just study. That's all I want you to do. Well, that didn't help get ready for the workforce. No. So I'm so thankful that way back in the day, my dad said, you should work. And at 12 years old, I'm throwing a newspaper on driveways, you know, and Mm. did I like it? Not really. But I love that check that came, you know, at the end of the month or whatever. But I got to tell you, Nick, what went through my mind when you were asking that question is something a little different that I really think might be interesting to to your listeners. Love it. So Margaret Mead was arguably the most famous anthropologist in the 20th century. We've all quoted her and didn't even know we were quoting her. But she said something right before she passed away in the 1970s that was prophetic for today. And anybody that leads the young— that may be midlife and older, they need to know this. So Margaret Mead said that she divided human history up into three eras. In other words, we did life differently three different times. Not the Taylor Swift eras. No, no, no. Not, okay, that's different. right. That's it's right. Different. Not Taylor Swift. Okay. Although she would be in the newest era, I'm right. sure. Yes. <laughs> cool and cutting edge. Yeah. Way back in the day, she called it the post-figurative era, but I'll explain. <laughs> that meant if you're young growing up thousands of years ago, You learned everything post the adults. Mm. In fact, the adults were the ones that told you how reality worked. In fact, if you're a boy, you did what your daddy did. Good luck with that. If you're a girl, you did what your mama did. Good luck with that. Mm. And you were to perpetuate the customs and traditions. In fact, mama, dad even chose your spouse for you. Remember? Mm. Reading Mm -hmm. about this in history books. So post-figurative, the young were just subservient to the old and learning everything from the old. Nothing much changed. So ask grandpa. Mm Mm-hmm. 
as we moved into the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, reason became king. Hmm. And now, reason brought the two, the young and the old, together so they would make decisions together. For the first time, you could choose your spouse and have a voice in that, not just have mom and dad pick the girl or pick the guy. In fact, our nation was born during this time. We hold these truths to be self-evident. It's reasonable. We couldn't have started our country 300 years earlier than we did. It was just tradition. Fascinating. So in this era, you had a say. You were mixing it up with the old and the young. But Margaret Mead in the 1970s, this is 50 years ago, started seeing a day coming because of the rapid pace of change and the quick introduction of new technology, even smart technology, was on the horizon And she said, I think we're moving into the prefigurative age. So post-figurative, co-figurative, the prefigurative age, she predicted, the world is changing and the young will be teaching the old. The young Mm. will get it faster Mm. than the old. Think about Tony. Yeah. Think about our kids. Yeah. Oh, my. I mean, I'll tell you what. When something goes wrong with a smartphone, I give it to my son. He fixes it in five minutes. I go, how did you know to do that? He says, how did you not know? You know, that's that's our conversation. So all I'm saying, leaders out there listening, I know you get frustrated, but we got to turn our frustration into fascination Mm. and say, I want to sit down over a Coke, and I want you to tell me what you're doing and how it might be useful. See, Gen Z, I will say this. They're really smart. But most of it's enjoyment, not employment. It's yeah. just kind of fun. Yeah. But if we could say, we could use that, Josh. Yeah. What if we started a little team here, a little sub-team, and it's a entrepreneurial zone. 70% of high schoolers want to be an entrepreneur. Mm. It's an entrepreneurial zone here at this restaurant. And we're going to do this, 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 and this. And I'm going to put some funds aside, and we're going to see what we can do. Oh, my gosh. Talk about retention. The youngest leader on my team that I entrust. Yes. Like, you've got an entire shift. Yeah. You're leading 12, 15 people running a shift in a a multi-million dollar business is 19 years old. Wow. He's leading some people that are in their 40s. With that generation, speak to them. They've got a lot of that energy and entrepreneurism. Some of us are going to like tie to that and say, I don't know what's going on there, but I want to tap into it. Yes. And they need to thrive in their their role. Speak to that generation real quick that's leading because there's a lot of those guys that are listening yeah. to this yeah. and say, you're 20 to 25 yeah. years yeah. old. You're leading people 20 years, 30 years older than you yeah. in some cases. How do you lead them well? If I'm 20 years old, I may have some younger and some older, but I'm in this right. responsible position that my operator, Nick, gave me. Yep. The first thing I would say, because I remember when this was me under John Maxwell, I got to lead with humility first, mm. meaning I realize I'm just 20. I know you've been around so much longer. I can learn from you, but yet I got to run point on this. So give me your input. But then, you know, everybody has a voice. Not everybody has a vote. Mm. Everybody's got a voice. Not everybody gets a vote. That's what you got to kind of build that backbone and that courage if you're young and you're leading. Mm. I want to run point and I will exercise the authority I need to. But start with humility. When I was doing this, I would say, gee, you could be my dad right now, you know, ha, ha, ha. But then I would say, so impart to me. I'll tell you what, I did another book called Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. Great And book. I talked about how Bob Iger had his team members who were reporting to him, telling him what they knew. He said, I'm new here. Tell me what I need to know. <laughs> so he was confident and humble. That's, that's yeah. what I guess I'm saying. Bring some confidence that at 20 years old, people mm-hmm. go, okay, he's, he's going to do this. Yeah. He's not shy. But he brings humility, making me think, 
I can believe his confidence because he mm. sees the bigger picture and he knows he doesn't have all the information. That's, I think, where all leaders, but particularly a young leader, needs to go. That's great. And that generation and how they can lead, well, how they can thrive, knowing yeah. that they've got a lot to learn, That's right. but they have a lot to bring to the table. Yeah. I've heard you say something before that I really love where you said, hey, speak as if you know the answer, yes. but yeah. listen as if you don't have the yeah. answer. So the way I actually say it, okay, you're, sorry. You're, yeah. it's a great paraphrase, Nick. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, it, well, it's it's just so been so helpful for me. When I'm in meetings, I want to speak as if I believe I'm right. So there that's is. confidence. But I need to listen as if I believe I'm wrong. And that's mm. humility. So those are just characteristics, particularly today, young and old. Mm. In fact, when I'm old, I'll naturally be confident because I've been around the block a few times. Yeah. I need to go after humility because I don't know what Tony knows about TikTok. And I need that from my yeah. restaurant, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. So That's perfect. As we kind of close in and around this, one thing that just sat with me, I have not stopped thinking about it since I've listened to you say it. Okay. Dr. Robert LaHaye says, he kind of gives us some information to help fuel some of this. And he says that the average U.S. team experiences the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Yeah. That the CDC reported in the fall of 2020, a quarter of young adults between 18 and 24 had contemplated taking their own life. Yeah. This is heavy work we're yeah, doing. Is. This is not like yeah. an option. Yeah. This is something we need to be doing. So as we kind of round this time, and you've been so generous with your time today, thank you. Just talk about why this matters so much today, yeah. where leaders like, we don't have an option in doing this. And yeah. like, what are the consequences if we don't do this well yeah. in the next 10 years? Yeah. Wow. Well, think with me, listeners, if we don't do this thing well, this thing being connecting with the young and yes. preparing them, we're really going to be in trouble as a nation and as a world because the young are always representing the future. So if you don't even care about young people, I think you care about the future yeah. and they are that. So that'd be the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is it really is an anxious, overwhelmed generation. Mm. You probably even see this during the shift when you watch them. Mm. The number one word that university students use to describe their life is the word overwhelmed. Almost half say they're so overwhelmed it's difficult to function. Mm. So we hear employers say, I need them to get on their shift, but they're taking breaks because they need a little PTO. But here's what I would say. They are absolutely overwhelmed with the volume coming at them, volume of information. Mm. If a teenager is on social media, when you count that and everything else coming at them message-wise, 10,000 messages a day. Mm. I don't think our brain was hardwired no. to take in 10,000 messages a day. But here's an angle, leaders, that you can take with the young. I did some thinking. I looked at past generations who've been through hard times. Yes. Like we're in right now, Okay. The economy is uncertain. It's up and down, up and down, up and down. A pandemic, okay? So I went back and looked at the Spanish flu pandemic. I went back and looked at the Great Depression. I interviewed 90-year-olds in retirement villages and said, what do leaders and parents and coaches and teachers do to help you come through this with such resilience? Mm. Here's what I concluded. The leaders loved the young. Mm -hmm. I think there was a, more of a natural love and I think everything's so machine today that we forget the humanness of our jobs. But these older folks said when we were young, they wouldn't let us think like victims. You are victims of this hard time, but don't think like a victim. That's key. Mm. But here's the major thought that I love. Picture a circle. At the top of the circle 
is hard times. We are right now in a bit of a hard time. I think we need to tell the young people that work for us, I'm not going to be in denial. It's a hard time. Yeah. And I can see why you, as a 16-year-old, would be feeling it's a hard time. Face the reality of the that's situation. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, that's right. Face the current reality. But hard times usually lead to strong generations. Mm. I, mean, I look at the Great Depression kids. Those were my parents. They were strong and gritty. So hard times lead to strong generations. Strong generations usually lead to good times. Mm. So if we invest in Gen Z, our best years at the restaurant are ahead of us. Yeah. But get this. Good times often lead to weak generations, mm. which in turn leads to hard times. Yeah. So if we're at the top of the circle, and I think we might be, mm. let's treat this like a fitness center. Yeah. Let's get these Gen Zers let's believing in them. But yeah, say you're going to get strong. Hey, Gen Zers, don't tell anybody. You're going to be stronger than the millennials. Right. Because they had some pretty good times yeah. in the 90s. This is hard now. Isn't that great? I know that sounds so stupid, but I'm telling you, I start talking to my kids this way. You're going to be stronger for mm. it. So let's treat this like a physical, intellectual, dare I say, spiritual weight room. Mm. And we just look at the times and go, I'm getting fit for I it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Obviously, it sounds like that generation was shepherded well. When we think about that word overwhelmed, yeah. our word that we use, you know, we want to we want to shepherd people well That's so right. that they thrive. Yeah. And that we can be a leader they can follow for life. Let's shepherd them well. Yeah so that they can thrive, yeah. so that they can make that circle to be strong That's right. and then lead us into a thriving yeah. time, into thriving families. So the thing that we talk about with shepherd leadership, it's not just work, yeah. it's parenting. It's all. If you're leading a Bible study, yeah. if you're a t-ball coach, if you've had people entrusted to your care, the Lord's given them to you for a reason, yeah. and that's for them to thrive. Tim, you've been doing this work for a long time. I have been a benefactor of it from a distance for over 20 years. Thank you for the work oh. that you do. It has shaped a lot of my work and it's really helping leaders all over this planet shepherd other people and help them thrive. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, Nick, I need to say thank you for what you're doing. You're the practitioner in the trenches every day. Yeah. So I'm trying to throw you some waters. you run your race, but um, I'm honored to be with you. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. Well, guys, the book is A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. And you can go to www.newdiversitybook.com. A lot of resources on there. There's actually some a lot of free content on there that you can use to take an assessment and a lot of different types of things. Look up Tim Elmore. He's written, I think, 38 books now. You need to buy every one of them <laughs> and learn everything that this awesome shepherd leader has to say about knowing those entrusted to your care. Tim, thanks for your time today. Bless you. Well, team, I hope you had pen and paper ready for that because there are so many nuggets in there you can use in your leadership tool belt. Let's recap and highlight some of the things Dr. Elmore mentioned. One, you have to read them before you lead them. This is so fundamental to being a shepherd leader and really striving to know those entrusted to your care so that you can guide them, so that you can protect them and provide what they need in order to thrive. The other thing he said was that there are four generations in the workforce at the same time right now. Knowing what has shaped their worldview and their behavior can help close the gaps 
between our generations so we can work together more effectively and help each other thrive. The other thing I love that he said was, speak as if you believe you are right. Listen as if you believe you are wrong. Oh, this is such great advice for anyone in a leadership position. It's especially important when engaging with different generations. Dr. Elmore talked about the power of the paradox of humility and confidence. If you're Gen X like me or a boomer, we need to teach them the timeless truths that will help them thrive. They have some timely intuition we can learn from that can help our teams thrive as well. Go into relationships with those you're shepherding younger than you with humility that there are things you can learn from this next generation. If you're in Gen Z and you find yourself leading up, come into that situation with humble confidence. Realize that the generation before you learned some timeless truths, many through struggle and hard times, and earned a perspective that can help you thrive as a person and as a leader. We learned this generation receives, on average, 10,000 messages a day. The word they're using to describe themselves is overwhelmed. Older generations like mine, it's lazy to say, what do you have to be overwhelmed by? Life is so much easier for you now. What we don't see or realize is how mentally overwhelmed this generation has become as their screens have become private and they consume information, news, messages constantly throughout the day. And everything is immediate and all of those messages are firing at them. How can we, as shepherd leaders, help guide them to the Father as He leads them beside still waters and makes them lie down in green pastures? How can we be the hands and feet of the Good Shepherd and be the extension of how the Father would lead them here? Let's not add to the chaos. Let's strive to know, guide, protect, and provide for those entrusted to us so that they can thrive and we can be a leader they'll follow for life. Until next month, shepherd well, my friends. Mm -hmm.